This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. Good evening and uh, welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. This week, we have the absolutely amazing uh, Blair Boyd, uh, the creator, the instigator, and uh, now here tonight with the shoe being on the other foot. Um, Blair, just give us a quick introduction about yourself, because there'll be some people that know a lot about everybody else, but not so much about you. So that's great, Jimmy. Thanks very much. As you said, I have been running the podcast for more than a year now, and it's a bit of an interesting change, me being on the, the side of answering the questions rather than asking them. So we'll see how this one goes. It should be a, a pretty interesting show. But yeah, been running safer than your average for a year now. I also work full time as a health and safety professional, and I am well known for my IOSH volunteering activities. I'm massively involved in the West of Scotland branch, developing people to go through their chartership, as well as the new chartered fellows group that we've got in development to coach people and help them get up to that distinguished level of chartered fellow. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, just thinking about that, you know, just, just before we, we go on a little bit more and, and, and we start going through the, the conversation is that, this chartered fellow part, we'll touch on it later on, it, it, it means a lot to you, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. And it's quite funny. I started the group off of the back of developing the IPD group to get people through their chartership. And I'm sure we'll cover that as part of the podcast, how that came about. But the chartered fellow group, I'm not able to apply to be a chartered fellow at the moment. But yeah, I've got the coaching group that's really working well to get people through to that level. Um, next January, when I'm able to apply, I'll be throwing my throwing my hat in the ring for it and getting my presentation submitted. But yeah, it's really important to me, and it's something I'm very passionate about. And it is fantastic. I mean, I know we're in this uh, age of you know pushing the technology boundaries as well, and everybody can talk to each other really pretty quickly. But it is reaching uh, not just me um, as IOS president, but it's actually reaching council members as well. And reaching a lot of people and, and, and definitely down south. We have a lot of this amazing group, so I'm looking forward to talking about that later on. But anyway, uh, we don't want to digress too much. I, I think what everybody would like to know, I mean, you know, your marvellous accent there is, you know, where did you grow up? And I, I want to know a little bit, I want to know, it's not all about me, but I think everybody wants to know a little bit about your early life. And 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 if we can have a little bit of chat of that and just take us right back, that would be fantastic, Blair. Sure, so I grew up in a place in the outskirts of Glasgow, as you can tell by the accent, in a lovely town called Claybank. It was famous for a couple of different industries, one of them being shipbuilding, which five generations before me worked in. Um, unfortunately, the yard John Brown's, which was one of the most famous in the world, that built some of the, the biggest ocean-going liners in the world, is no longer there. Uh, went bust in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, just as I was about to leave school. And uh, it was quite an interesting place to grow up. I was uh, very influenced by my granddad, who I had a very close relationship with um, growing up. And uh, he worked in the shipbuilding industry um, right from being an apprentice in 1936. He was started out as a plumber's helper at 14 years old and then progressed at 15 and a half to becoming a, a plumber's apprentice. And the first ship he worked on was the Queen Mary, which is now in Long Beach in California. And um, he progressed pretty pretty well through the yards. And in his later life, he was also quite heavily involved, as was his brothers in the trade unions. And uh, they campaigned quite ardently for people that were exposed to asbestos and people that had become injured through their work in the yards as well. And uh, one of my, my first memories, I seen him speak publicly, was at a meeting that he took me to as a, a young kid, maybe about nine or ten, at the Clydebank Asbestos Action Group. And he stood up and gave an account of his experiences of working in the yards and being exposed. And some of the guys that he knew that were, were pipe laggers that were unfortunately no longer with us. Wow. Due to 
and that, that death dust that was asbestos. A very, very interesting kind of childhood to, to have that understanding and have that in the background. So it was a uh, progressed into education, obviously, and uh, went to Claybank High School. And uh, the time that I was at, at school, the late 90s, early 2000s, it was probably a, quite a, a difficult time to go to school. Nice. Glasgow was known, unfortunately, at that time, uh, it'd been named as the mother capital of Europe by the World Health Association, right. World Health Organization. And uh, there was a lot of problems with gangs and drugs. Um, a lot of people being out of, out of work for generations as well. So it was going through quite a quite a big change in the city at the time. And uh, I'm, I was thinking about this before I came on tonight and how I was going to share this and put it out. And I think the the way that I was at school was I was very clever, but I didn't really apply myself. I wasn't interested in being in school. I couldn't wait to escape and get outside and be running out with my pals and going and getting into mischief and causing causing a bit of mayhem. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a it was an interesting interesting time to be going through that education sphere. So as soon as I could leave school, I was desperate to leave. And uh, it was quite quite funny. Some of the, the experiences that I had at school. Um, I don't know if you know the comedian Kevin Bridges. Oh, yeah, I know him, yeah. Well, Kevin Bridges is massively well-known now. He went to the opposite school from me. He went to the Catholic school, which was St. Columbus. A lot of my friends went to St. Columbus, and I went to the, the non-denominational school, or as it was sometimes called, the Prodi school, which was Claybank High. But a lot of the experiences that Kevin Bridges talks about with the alcoholic technical teacher that was steaming all the time and the, the teachers being quite dismissive and um, a bit rude and off with you at times. A lot of them were ex-shipyard workers and had retrained to go in and maybe be your PE teacher, things like that. So it was quite a quite a unique environment to be educated in. And, uh, yeah. And, no, definitely. And, yeah. So I was desperate to leave, as I said, um, when I was 15 and a half. And uh, the only way that I could get out was either to get an apprenticeship and they were like gold dust in Glasgow at the time. I can remember sitting in front of my, my computer, my old uh, Evesham Vale computer with a big massive monitor and the speakers on the side, typing letters. And I typed a letter up, a kind of standard letter, and I, I wrote to about 70 or 80 different companies. I can remember going to the shop and buying all the envelopes and posting them all out, and I didn't get a reply from one of them, begging them for an apprenticeship. And then I followed up, going round all the places. Is there any chance of, chance of a job? They said no. And I had done pretty well in my accountancy exams at school. I studied accountancy. My parents really wanted me to become an accountant. So they really kind of pushed me towards that. And I saw a golden opportunity. One of my mates tipped me the wink and said, if you go to college, they'll let you leave at 15 and a half. And I went, I'll go and study accountancy. That'll, that'll be a good idea. So they were delighted, of course. So I went to study an access course in accountancy. And I'd done pretty well in the first year. I think I was probably too young to see the opportunity that I had in front of me at the time. Um, going into college rather than being at school, um, it was a totally different environment. And with being an access course, it had a real variety of different people. Some people just coming out of being in prison. You had people that had been long-term unemployed that were maybe studying an access course to develop through. And of course, they had all of those, those problems that come with that coming into the, the college with them. So it was quite an eye-opener for a 15-and-a-half-year-old kid to suddenly be from school and into Claybank College and seeing all this this happening round about him, you know? Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. It was, uh, it was really interesting. So done pretty well in my first year at college, I must say. Um, passed all my course and was progressing on when I wanted to study the HNC and uh, ran into a bit of trouble. And around about that time, a lot of the people that grew up with me were getting into trouble, um, hanging about gangs, all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I was seeing some of them kind of go to Pullman and Pullman Young Offenders Institution, oh, aye, aye, aye. various other weird and wonderful places. 
And um, I thought, this really isn't the life for me. But I didn't kind of know how to, to get out of it, you know, once you're there, you're there. So I started acting up, not going to college and disappearing for days at a time, going out drinking with my pals at 17 and right. doing all the stuff you shouldn't really be doing. Mm. And um, I kind of, I got to a stage that a guy that we'd been pretty close with, um, a good friend of mine at one time, we'd kind of drifted apart and he'd, uh, he got a job with a council and he'd been at a party and I, I had a part-time job all the way through this as well. I was a tyre fitter for a company called DH Morgans in Claybank. And they took me on, I probably shouldn't have been working as a, a kind of mechanic fitting tyres and doing exhaust systems and um, at that age, you know, but I was I was in there doing it, you know, working with machinery and doing all sorts of stuff like that. that probably, you wouldn't get away with nowadays, but... No. Great job, really enjoyed it, learned a lot, learned a lot about customer service and um, a bit about mechanics as well and how to have a right good laugh, drowning your mate that's working with you with a tyre bath and stuff like that. All the, all the carry-on you get up to when you're that kind of... And um, at that time, going back to what I was talking about there, so the guy that was pretty close with us, he kind of drifted away and was hanging about with a wee bit of a different crowd. He got a job with the council and... Um, he went to a party, he'd been invited to a party at like an local bowling club and uh, he'd get into an altercation with a couple of guys outside it and it'd been split up and they came back and more of them, more of, more of a kind of crowd came back and they were going to kind of attack him. So he ran away and tried to climb over a fence, it was a palisade fence with spikes on the top of it and it punctured his heart, killed him. Wow. And uh, I think I was 17 and a half at the time. And I thought, and it hit us all really hard, all my group of friends, because we hadn't a couple of months, but he was still one of our kind of closer friends at one time. And I thought, I need to get out of here. So I went to the Army Careers Office and I was going to sign up for the Army. But during the Second World War, my granddad had been in the Army. He'd been called up. Um, duty on being a practical joker and the shipyard and the clerk didn't like him so he hid his reserved occupation papers and they get called up for the army and he'd been one of the founding members of the parachute regiment during the second world war and he'd seen quite a lot of action through the, the africa campaign and then through sicily and italy and um, a long long story as to, to his service but at the time, unless you were 18, you weren't allowed to you weren't allowed to sign up without your parents' permission. Right. So I can remember going to my mum and dad and saying, I'm joining the army. No, you're not. And I said, I'm joining the army, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. You better sign this. And they said, No, we're not letting you go. And uh, they dragged me up to my granddad's house and they sat me down. They said, Son, I was in the Second World War. I don't want you to be in the army. It's just something that I've always had in my head that I didn't want any of my family to do. I wouldn't let your dad do it. When he wanted to leave school and he was your age, I made him join the Merchant Navy. And I said, well, if you let him join the Merchant Navy, I'm joining something. So I'm going in the Navy then. <laughs> I'd allow you to do that. And I said, fine, that's what I'm doing. So I went back to the careers office. And well, was, that right? in, was that the one in Queen Street? The one, in, one in Claybank or the one in Glasgow? One in Queen Street in Glasgow. Uh, and the, the recruiting sergeant saw me coming in. He was delighted. He's like, oh, I've got one here. He's back to sign on. This will be fantastic. He'll have the, the permission form all kind of filled out. But the Army, the Navy and the RAF all worked out the one office in Queen Street. Right, and I walked right. right past the Army guy and he shouts, hey, where are you going? I says, I'm signing up for the Navy. Oh, no, you're not. I saw you first. I says, my mum and dad won't sign the form for you, but they will for him. And he said, all right, okay, fair enough. So I went over to the Navy desk and I says, right, I want to join the Navy. And he says, well, what do you want to do? And I says, I don't know. And he said, well, you must have some kind of idea. You've walked in here, you've walked past the army guy. I'm just not allowed to join him. So what do you do that's like that? And he says, um, I don't think you'll have the fitness level for the Marines, son. He said, I'll be honest with you. What we'll do is, here's a brochure. Take that away. Come back next week. Have a look through some of the jobs. 
in it and decide what you want to do. And I went, right, okay, fantastic. That's what I'm into. So I went away and I sat and I worked it out and I, I wanted to be an engineer. And I thought, fantastic, that's what I'm doing. I'm going back, marine engineer. So I went back in and I'd read all the brochure and I said, right, I want to be a marine engineer. And he went, okay, you need to do an aptitude test for that. Fine. So go up, sit down. He says, right, 45 minutes to do this aptitude test. Turn the paper over, filled it all in. I fine. Done it in about half an hour and gave him it. And he went, yep, you've passed that, no bother. Got to send you for an interview now. And I went, Right, okay. He says, so come back tomorrow and they'll be here to interview you. Make sure you're smart. And I'll never forget it. It was Remembrance Day. It was the 11th of November. I went in for the interview. And I went in and I sat down and they said, they asked me hundreds of questions. And I was just on the last question and they said, what's been the biggest challenge in your life? What's been the saddest event that you've ever ha had happen round about you? And I told them about what had happened with my mate. And they said, we don't think you're in the right frame of mind to join up just now. Come back come back in six months. And I went, oh. And of course, by that point, I thought, right, OK, fair enough. Is there anything I can do to change your mind? No, come back in six months. And I went, OK. Got up and walked out, and it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, fair one. So I ended up... Uh, I got to the stage that I'd missed so much at college because I'd lost the interest and motivation for the course. Nice. They told me, right, we've decided that uh, you would be better leaving this year and coming back next year and repeating the year. I said, okay. I can remember going to Claybank Job Centre. I walked in and I said, just finished at college, didn't finish the year, I need to sign on. They said, right, here's your signing on book. And he says, you need to come every single day and search on the job centre computers to show us that you're looking for work. And I said, I live six miles away from here. I need to get the train every day for the amount of money that you would pay me for the, the job centre. I would be spending that in train fares to get here. It's not a problem. And I said to them, and by the way, before we go down this road, I only want to do this for my national insurance stamp because I've got a part-time job. I think I earned £40 a week at the time, £20 a shift. Aye. You know, well, you're only entitled to £40 a week, so you'll not get anything. And I said, oh, do you know what? This isn't worth the hassle. There's your book back. I'll never darken your door again. Did, um, and then, of course, that's, that's when it sort of stops and, and, you, and, you, and then you start getting into the... You made, a, you made a decision to start your, your first job. Yeah. So, 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 so I, was thinking, I was just going back in some bits that I was thinking about. I remember as well when I was at primary school, primary seven, uh, boy, I remember a teacher, I can't remember his name again. He was a big, tall guy and uh, this big, massive beard. And um, it was sort of, it had been, I'd have been about 11, primary seven or something like that. Was it well, younger than that? But it was about 70, it may have been about 77 or something like that. And I remember we had a, we were at Carmodrick Primary School. It's not there anymore. Carmodrick, mm -hmm. but St Michael's Primary School down the bottom. And and we came into primary. We were primary school kids. And I remember this teacher. Remember his name? Amazing he was. And he and he wrote up on the board. I said this will this this will won't make sense to what people, but it makes sense to me and you. As he wrote down Catholics, K A W F L I K S, and then underneath that he put Prodies, P R O D D I E S. And he put mm. a line through it and he, and he went, do you understand? And we'd sit there as primary school kids um, in, the, in these two different schools sitting in the summer. It was the way he wrote it, though. So that he wrote it as we could see it because all the kids were you know, still still young and doing all the spelling and stuff. And I, that, that bit, that, that is a bit I, I was sort of related to in terms of the schools growing up at that time. But I just want to take you, I, I, I don't want to, because I, 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 was, I was getting a bit worried there that you, you might sort of be a bit of a spoiler going into the next part of the, what I wanted to talk to you about, and you know, mm. you, you were just about to think, of, you were just about to bring it out there. So you've had this amazing experience, a life-affirming experience. Really, you've lost a, a really close friend. You know, a wee bit lost in the world, um, and I, I can relate to that as well. I was the same at, at sixteen, and I managed to get myself a little apprenticeship. But so you've you've got now back, you've got your wee job, and then bang. So let's know then. Crack that. You got yourself back in your feet a wee bit. You're still a wee bit sort of, you know, the stuff went on with your pal. 
So first job, um, where did you work? Tell us a little bit more about it. And, 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 and what was one of the first things you learned from it, Blair? So I got a really good opportunity and it kind of landed in my lap. And this is how it happened. I saw an advert and I was passing the careers office. And I saw an advert in the careers office for a job with a company called the Student Loans Company. And I thought, that looks all right. I'm going to throw my name in that for that. And it was a trainee office worker. That was what the advert was. But the money was good. I think it was £7,600 a year. I went, whoa, that's a fortune. I mean, it used to earn 20 quid a shift. I'm going for that. So I went into the careers office and I said to them, really interested in that. And I never heard anything about it. I made the application. I never heard anything about it for three months. And I got a phone call to go for an interview. And I, I still remember the woman's name now, the woman called Eleanor McKee. I went in to sit down with her. She was interviewing me. She says, I'll be your boss. And she says, the reason I gave you an interview, she says, I had 200 applicants for this job. Mm. The reason I gave you an interview was my husband's name's Blair as well. And I can see you'll do well here because you're really good at speaking and you'll be great on the phone. I went, right, okay, no problems. So she gives a job, started out, Working in a big fancy office block, 100 Bobwell Street in Glasgow. It was great getting the train in every morning and going with my shirt on. Thought I was all gallus, 17, working in the town. Fantastic. So I go in and I'm uh, working away, but I was still a bit young and wild. So I used to carry on all the time. So people would be on the phone and they would just see my head up here above the computer monitor and be throwing paper aeroplanes at people and making faces. And I was always in bother for carrying on. And they said, listen, you're going to end up getting the sack for in here. And then we got a new manager and she didn't like me. She was, oh, gave me absolute hell. And he says, we need to do something with him. He's just disruptive. He's causing mayhem. And they were going to get rid of him. I got told later on in my career that they were going to pay me off. But they were opening this new site. Um, doing printing manufacturing and I went over to the site to, to drop stuff off one day over in Hillington Industrial Estate in Glasgow and the guy that was the director of the site was an ex-army guy, ex-Welsh Guards guy called Rod Dado, cracking guy, absolute salt of the earth and he'd been a regimental sergeant major wow. so really really funny guy um, real character really outspoken and I get talking to him for half an hour and me and him clicked. And he says, I'm going to get you a job in here. He says, because they're going to get rid of you if you don't stop your nonsense. But you need to behave. And I said, right, okay. So he got me a job and I got started in the, in the printing. And they started me out initially opening the mail and distributing it. And great fun with it. We used to get all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff in the post. People had a real grudge with student loans and it was quite an interesting time because at that time it had just went from being the kind of free education system and a bursary that you got to moving to be a student loan. And they used to have free post envelopes for everything. We used to get things like cinder blocks and car exhausts that people would get the, the free post label and sellotape it onto it and send it in. We used to get payments coming in as well. Guys would send, they would count out their £37 a month in pennies and sellotape it up and buy packages to pay their student loan. Oh my God. Great, really great place to work, really interesting. And they started developing the site. Rod had a kind of master plan of how he wanted that site to be. We travelled all over the place to Japan and America to look at some of the big printing and distribution sites in America and Japan. Wow. And they, they got into contract with a couple of different businesses to, to get this digital printing system brought in. And it, we were one of the first companies in the UK to be, to be working in the digital printing market. And we brought in very specialist printers. Um, they were glorified photocopiers, don't get me wrong, but they were the size of a, a kind of average living room. Yeah, so big industrial pieces of kit. And uh, the way that he set the site up, he had the printing running that could then be enveloped 
automatically enveloped using all the enveloping machines. And then he had the machine that the only one outside the Royal Mail in Glasgow was us that had it. And wow. it just copied the, the letters into the individual postal regions. Right. And it saved them a couple of million pounds a year by doing the pre-sort before it went to the post office. Mm -hmm. Really interesting site, but with it being a big manufacturing site, a lot of risk involved in it as well. So there was a lot of kind of forklifts. And I can remember going at 19 and being trained how to drive a forklift. I think I drove a forklift, in fact, 18. I think I drove a forklift before I had a car license. Uh, yeah, and my forklift license before, my first forklift license for counterbalance forklift before I had my car license. And then uh, passed my driving test, got driving um, to and from work, which was fantastic, and really progressed through from there. And then one day, one of the managers had been told that he was going on an IOSH managing safely course. No right. And uh, I was actually talking to him the other night. It's quite funny. A guy called Stephen Grew, and uh, he decided he wasn't going on it, and he was looking for a victim. And he came walking down the factory floor and they said, what are you doing next week? And I said, <laughs> why? They said, wrong answer. You're going on a training course. And I thought, right, okay. So he sent me on an IOSH Managing Safely course. And I turned up. It was GTG, Glasgow Training Group, um, the Arnold Clark on in Glasgow that were delivering the course. I turned up to the last training course and there's guys in their 40s and 50s there that have worked in industry all their days and know absolutely everything about working in places like steelworks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm there, a wee guy at 19 years old, stuck in and sitting down, not really knowing what I'm doing there and what this health and safety thing's all about. <laughs> and he said, um, what is it you doing? I explained some of the machinery and some of the some of the stuff that I'd been working on. And they were like, what age are you? 19. Wow. Right, okay, fantastic. You've got a lot of great experience there. And I said, all right, that's good. And I really learned a lot. They were talking about hazard and risk and the difference between and how you, how you to your likelihood and your severity to do a risk assessment. I'm going, Wow, this is amazing. Do people actually get paid a wage for doing this every day? This is magic. And they were like, I, I can't remember the guy that taught the course at that particular time. He said, you would have a fantastic career in health and safety because you're really good at speaking to people. And I went, all right, okay. So I never really thought anything of it. I done, took the project away and I passed the project and they, they called me up and they said, You've done a fantastic job with this project. It's really, really good. It looks excellent, actually. We're advertising just now for a training health and safety advisor. Would you be interested in coming in and having a chat with us? And I said, yeah, definitely. And uh, I didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks. And I'm thinking, I really like working here. I don't really want to leave. So I went back at the time and I said, look, I don't want to leave. I really like doing this health and safety thing. So can I get some extra responsibility and we can get a bit more involved in this? Right. Well, yeah, we'll look into it and we'll, we'll come back to you on it. And uh, I never heard anything back from GTG, so I waited the kind of amount of time you're supposed to wait, kind of week and a half. And I phoned them up and I said, look, what's going on with this? And they were like, oh, well, we're trying to work out if we're getting a budget for it. and We're not really sure. Right, okay. And then a couple of, couple of weeks go by and I think I've got a phone in again. I phoned them up and I said, what's happening with this trainee job? Uh, I'm really sorry. The budget's been withdrawn for it. We're not going to have it this year. Right. So back to student loans, still working away. And they said, well, you're doing really well now. We're really pleased with the progress that you've made. We quite like some of the safety stuff that you're doing as well. I'm interested. What we're going to do is we're going to promote you into a, a senior role. So we're going to make you a lead operator. But to do that, there's a shift that we can't fill. I said, okay. It's a two to ten shift. And I went, oh, jeez. The shift nobody wants to do because by two o'clock in the afternoon if you want to do something with your morning you're just getting into the swing it and it's time to go to work 
Uh, time you finish at night, it's just too late to go out to the pub for a pint. And it's just too late to go to anything that's on at night or see any of your friends. Especially uh, when you're 20. I thought, see, I'll tell you what, I really want to do this, so I'll do it. So I've done it. And I moved on to the back shift and I made it my own. And I tried to make it as entertaining as possible. So there are a couple of guys that worked on the back shift ways. And my boss was pretty, pretty reasonable ways. He used to let us work day shift on a Friday. And he would let us work to 10 o'clock and then come in at 7 o'clock on a Friday morning and finish at 3, unless it was really busy. And we kind of had that unwritten rule that that was allowed. So he would let me let me finish early on a Friday to go drinking with my pals. No bad, no bad. I mean... So in terms of that, in terms of that first role, then, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I thought I thought you were. That's why I didn't want to stop you. I thought you were, you were sort of going to go into it. But so in terms of, in terms of moving into that first health and safety job, then it seems to me that you kind of done a wee bit of an apprenticeship in health and safety, but probably didn't realise that you were doing a sort of apprenticeship going into health and safety. So in terms of that 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 first health and safety job, I take it. The wee bits and pieces of, you know, being able to have that blank canvas on the on the two to ten shift, getting all your wee bits and pieces in, you sort of formulated your own little mini apprenticeship, and then bang, you moved in that first health and safety job. What what was that first health and safety job, Blair? So it kind of snowballed from there. I, I was managing people as part of that lead operative role. So I had people coming in that were kind of agency, transient workforce for the busy periods and I would be telling them what we needed to set up and I would be managing them and working through like packages of work with them. And then they needed someone to be the kind of electric pallet truck forklift trainer. So I went to their training course for that and started to develop a bit of a course and got some time to make the course for that. And I got to train a, a couple of the electric pallet truck courses out, but they wanted to retain the RTITB qualification and they didn't want to send me on the full three-month instructor course. Aye. But that kind of fell away a little bit and I thought, oh, I've had the taste for this now, I really want to keep going with this. I really like the kind of, this kind of sphere of things. And an opportunity came up that they were installing an uninterruptible power supply into the site. And it was, again, groundbreaking technology, ran off a, a diesel generator, um, massive diesel generator, huge, big, uh, uninterruptible power supply battery back and all of the data centre that went with it as well, that retained all of the data for all of the kind of financial details for people that had student loans. So really important, critical engineering. And uh, they needed someone from student loans to be the kind of on-site representative to look after all the contractors coming in. And the contractor, the electrical contractor that was doing all the connections and doing all the install, all the kind of three-phase electrical was a company called NG Bailey, a massive electrical sector. So I'd done my IOSH managing safely, prime place for being the permit issuer and looking after the construction work that's happening. I could drive the forklift to move all the kit about for them at night. And I moved shifts a little bit. I moved on to working four to midnight, which was horrendous, to be honest. And uh, I done a few night shifts as well. But it was it was great. It was a great experience. And that was my kind of first entry into health and safety. Off the back of that, they said, right, we need to get a bit more serious about our surface facilities management department. We've been managing our health and safety up until now. Mm-hmm. That's quite unique. So we're going to put you on your Nibosh course. And I went, fantastic. And they said, well, here's the deal. The last couple of people that we thought about putting on this have pulled out of it because it's been really difficult. So see if you don't go through it all, you need to pay for it. Fine. So went on the Nibosh course. And again, that military connection comes in. Still a bit naive, but young, quite quiet. Um, wasn't really as outspoken as I am just now. And there was a lot of older people going on to the course. Mm. The guy that was instructing that, again, ex-military, the guy that had been in the parachute regiment as well, a guy called Jim McCubbin. And he'd retired from the army and had went into health and safety um, training and consultancy. And again, the course was at GTG. So I went back there and he was a fantastic instructor. 
still to this day, he's one of the best teachers I've ever seen in the health and safety sector. Brilliant. Fantastic. Really inspiring, really motivating, pushing you all the time to think outside the box as well. And a lot of the outside of the box thinking that I've got the, the kind of strategy phone in the back of my head now, that's where it came from. So done really well with an eBosh, two marks away from getting a distinction passed with wow. credit. That's outstanding. Great for me, leaving school with very little qualification. And it was the first time I sat back and I thought to myself, I've really achieved something there. I studied my arse off to get over the line with it. And I thought, that's an excellent achievement. And a uh, student loans company, delighted with the progress that I'd made on that, said to me, what's the next step? I said, well, I want to do either an eBosch diploma or the degree. And they went, cool, go and find out about it. And I went, wow. Yeah. And they went, yeah. So I went to Glasgow Cary University and I went to meet a guy called Taylor Bone. Taylor, brilliant guy, brilliant lecturer, um, really interesting guy. And he, he lectured in the risk management course as well as the health and safety course. But the course was in a bit of a transition and he was leaving to go and focus solely on the risk course. And it was this new guy called Ross McKillop. And Ross and I are good friends now. Um, but Ross had taken over the management of the course. And I got all of the details, made my application, had my place all sorted out, was just waiting for the cheque for student loans to pay it in. And I got the course letter through and they put me straight into the final year. And I was delighted with that. I went to my, my work and I said, look, they've let me straight into the final year. And they went, well, it must have been because you get the credit on the rebosh. That's brilliant. We're really, really pleased for you. <laughs> I'm waiting on this cheque coming. I phoned Ross up and I'm saying, is this a mistake on this? You've put me straight into the final year and he's, oh, something's went wrong with this. You should be going into second year, not third year. And I went, well, my work are only going to pay for a year now. All right, well, you need to look into it. We'll need to sort something out. Come in and see us. I went in to speak to him. He's like, nah, you need to go into second year. And I went, right, okay. He says, I think what they've thought when they've been putting this through was you had an EBOSH diploma. I'm saying the SMC, MSC type part, aye. And I went, oh, fair enough. So I went back to my work and I was like, by the way, you know how I said it was three grand I needed? It's really six. And I went, well, everything's on hold just now. And I went, on hold? I'd been there for 10 years at this point. Or like, just gone on 10 years. Everything's on hold. Okay. So meeting on Monday, come in on Monday. I went in a really strange atmosphere in the place. Everybody was kind of deflated. And it was normally quite an upbeat place to work. We used to have a really good laugh. It was a right good bunch of people to work with. Everybody was a character. There wasn't a person in the place that wasn't a character. And... Um, we went into the canteen, Rod came in, all the directorship from the kind of the mothership and Bordwell Street were all there as well. They said, um, we've been doing a strategic review and we've got news to tell everyone that there's going to be a period of voluntary redundancy and potentially statutory redundancy as well, mandatory redundancy. Um, we're looking at outsourcing some of this work to an external provider. I went, wow, that, what a, a sucker punch that was. Didn't see it coming at all. Neither did anybody, you know, any of the guys that worked to me. And they were all, a lot of them, 20 years service, 15 years service. You know, I was the least serving person there. I'd been there 10 years. And I thought, this is, a, this is bad. So I kind of waited to the end and grabbed one of the managers. And I said to him, what does that mean for my union? And he was like, it's not going to happen. They're not going to pay for it. And I went, mean, okay. I looked into the possibility of getting it. And I says, well, when are we going to get paid off? Can I get paid off now so that I can go to university? And they said, no. And you know, it was the best and worst thing that's ever happened to me. It was going to take a year to get paid off. And in that year, I met my current wife. Um, who was my, my girlfriend at the time. My yeah. life totally, totally changed. I settled down a lot more, got my, myself right into the, the mind space I needed to be for going to university. And I also met a guy that had just finished the health and safety course. 
at Paisley University or University of the West of Scotland, a guy called Willie Crystal. And I was working back shift all the time and Willie had just started up a small health and safety training and consultancy business. I said, look, I'm getting paid off in about a year's time. I've got experience working in health and safety. I've worked in construction in my own site, but I've never worked anywhere else and I need experience. And he says, well, I can't give you a job because I can't afford to pay you. And I said, because I'm just starting up myself. He was an ex-airport fireman and a great experience from being an airport fire brigade. And he said, but I'll let you come out and shadow me as much as you want when I'm out working, seeing clients and doing a bit of training. I said, right, okay. And uh, I started working every morning at seven o'clock. I would go and meet Willie and go out on the hunt, meeting clients, then training, then all sorts of stuff. It was great fun. I worked on everything you can imagine for an anaerobic digestion plant that was the first in Scotland. And we went to do all the kind of confined space risk assessment, learned a huge amount about all that side of things. No, no. Right through to going to vehicle detailing workshops and spray painting places that they'd been prosecuted by the HSE and they wanted to improve their safety. We would go in and give them an end to end solution, develop all their training. It was great fun, really, really good time. So I worked with him every day from seven o'clock to one o'clock in the afternoon. Then I went and done my shift two o'clock to ten o'clock. And well, I'm going to hold you right there then. Um, first of all, um, you might need to delete a bit of this because uh, I don't think Mrs. Boyd will be happy knowing that she's your current wife. <laughs> uh, I think she's getting swapped out. Um, so currently I'm with Mrs. Boyd, my childhood sweetheart. <laughs> but um, no, that, that was a funny one. But also, no, I, I, and I think that whole journey so far of what you've been saying, it's just some of it's making your own luck as well, Blair, mm-hmm. and, and some of it's the, 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 what you wanted to do, but it's really. It's, it's quite, I wouldn't say it's weird, because it, 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 this is what we want. We want young people to go into health and safety. But back, you know, even sort of 20 years ago, more than that, 25 years ago, that that was something that was sort of really unheard of. Somebody as young as you were getting into that and getting a, getting a first for it. But mm-hmm. as, we, as we move on, because I know we're a bit pushed for time, and I knew this was going to happen. So mm-hmm. in terms of, we, we, we've got that job, um, we've got you into your first job, and we've moved on. And and then we're coming through that health and safety. So I need you to sort of very, not very quickly, but in uh, a little bit of time, just tell me what the where you are now from where you came from, and and what's the biggest challenge so far in getting here? Maybe do that in a couple of minutes, and we can get some, some more stuff coming up. Yeah, sure. So I progressed through from there. Left working with Willie to go to university full time, and I went to the University of West of Scotland. And one of the big challenges for me was trying to get my head back into the game, how to do the academic side of things, how to study, and how to be involved in that side of things. And I learned an exponential amount in a very short space of time doing the health and safety degree at UWS. It's still one of the most respected courses in health and safety in the UK. Fantastic course. So it was really challenging. And then I kind of stumbled about a little bit. I had a great opportunity again, and it was capitalising on an opportunity as it presented itself to me. There was a guy called Matt Orr, and again, ex-military guy, had just left the forces. To be blessed. Working with a, a, um, a company called Land Engineering, who were a, a civils contractor that worked in the west of Scotland, um, civil engineering contractor. They were working on some amazing projects at the time, one of which was the Brookfield Multiplex at the time, South Glasgow Hospital Project. Aye, 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 aye. Uh, Land Engineering were probably one of the worst companies working on the, on the site. They were always in trouble, but it made for interesting meetings and interesting developments. The guys were all quite rough and ready, and it was a great experience. So I managed to get a couple of days a week working with Matt, and I worked on some great civils projects. And my head was always go to the oil and gas game. That's where I want to be. I want to be working offshore. The health and safety degree will set me up to go offshore. And I'd done my offshore survival. My father-in-law, who passed away just at the start of this year of early onset dementia, um, he had always encouraged me. He worked in the offshore industry. Um, He was a a paintings and coatings inspector in the offshore industry. And he was a real character, great guy. 
and um, Frank, fantastic, really, really good at what he done, and he was great to go for a beer with. He would have had a, a great laugh going for a pint with him, and I get any loads of bother with the wife for coming home drunk and more than one occasion being out with him. So going through from there, it was getting that experience, trying to get my foot in the door. And I was going to try and get a full-time job with land engineering where I was still at university. But unfortunately, leadership team changed. The safety director moved on to go to another organisation. And a lot of people all kind of left and went in their own directions. I was only there as a, a temporary right. placement. And I moved on in the January. And it got to a really difficult bit of the course. So I had to knuckle down and study because we'd done the science bit of the course to allow it to be a, a BSc rather than a BA. Mm. And science wasn't my bag. But I passed it and I, I won the court medal at the end at graduation as the most English student of the, the year, which was a real honour and privilege. So progressing through from there, um, I got the opportunity to work a summer job and the, the summer break at university. And I had been quite regularly attending the safety groups, UK meetings um, and Falkirk. And a woman called Claire Walsh, who was the secretary of the, the group, got me a start at Robertson's. Um, Robertson's Construction, who are the biggest privately owned construction company in Scotland. And I went to work for Claire. She was a group safety manager and the safety director was a guy called Ken Miller. And Claire was fantastic. She often tells people that it's her fault. She unleashed me on the world of safety because she gave me my first big job and I learned a lot working there. So it was Claire that gave you your first job. Is this still the role that you're in? The job? It's still the company you're in now, Blair? No, no, I've got another few steps in between that. Okay. So, um, I ended up working there, got to work on some really interesting projects, worked on the... New McAllen Distillery, which was the first subterranean distillery in the world. And then I ended up absolutely crestfallen when they offered me a full-time permanent job because they offered me an assistant advisor's role but gave me all of the residential businesses to look after. No disaster. But I quickly learned that residential is the Rolls Royce of the construction industry because you've got that additional risk of members of the public moving into your site and doing all the stuff that they're not supposed to be doing. Absolutely. And it's really fast-paced as well. So loved it. Absolutely loved it. Spent a few years there. Learned a lot working with Ken as well. And there was another great mentor I had that was an ex-HSE inspector. And that was my real apprenticeship, getting to work with the ex-HSE inspector. What are you doing out here then, Blair? When? Now? What age are you now in this part? I mean, oh, at that part, I was 27, going on 28. Yeah. So, starting to progress through from there, an HSE inspector that mentored me, I, I got to ask him all the questions that you'd love to ask the HSE, but maybe wouldn't have the bottle to. Aye, what aye. would the HSE say if I did X? Well, they would, this is what would happen. And uh, all the kind of interview techniques and stuff like that that they, they would use as well. So really interesting experiences. And I really developed through as a practitioner from there. Started to really find my feet. And then the worst thing that could have happened happened to me. I sat down. It was Christmas. I had Christmas and New Year off. And anybody that knows me tell, will tell you, don't give them too long to think or they'll come up with some crazy idea. I watched this TV programme over Christmas called Paddington. Not about there, about the train station in London. Oh, yeah. um, I don't know if you remember it. I do, I do. I remember it well. It was fascinating. These guys that get to see this secret world that they're out in the middle of the night and they all get to wear all these orange clothes and wonder about railway tracks. I'm thinking, that's for me. That's a bit of me. I'm having that. So I kept my eye open for all these opportunities coming up. Again, how do you get into doing this? And uh, I applied for a job with Network Rail initially and, and it's Keith's team. And uh, I had an interview with him. And I had an interview for Siemens as well. And the Siemens job was paying a lot more than what the, the Network Rail job was. And I phoned or I, I sent an email and I cancelled the interview. And then I went for the interview with Siemens and I got the position. And... Um, I was delighted. 
I went to Robertson's and I said, look, I've really, really enjoyed my time here, but the time's come and I need to move on. So I moved on to be an EHS specialist with Siemens Mobility Infrastructure, working on the railway, on all the railway signalling equipment. And I basically had to go and learn safety again from scratch because right. it was totally, totally different. Everybody spoke a different language. The stuff that they were working on was mind-blowing. I had to learn about miles and yards and miles and chains and how that all worked out and how to read a, a diagram, how to read a, a railway drawn and work out a track diagram, work out your position and then go through all the skill set to get your personal track safety and really learn again from scratch. And I had some great people around about me, guys like Tom Waddle and a few people and um, some of the management team there, guys like Neil Akehurst really pushed us on to develop and uh, it was strange I started the job and within two weeks the guy that was my manager the regions changed and I ended up being managed by a guy for London I really had to offer him a guy Neil Akers that I mentioned there mm -hmm. and uh, I think Neil saw something on us and started to try and push us down the road of doing a bit of assurance work and getting us involved in a lot of audits and sent me on a lot of lead auditing courses Good. and I I found another flair for that and started to develop on that side of things. They were sending me to do all of the ones that they thought might be quite a, an interesting audit. So I was getting to work on stuff like Crossrail and travelling a lot for business down to Oxford and places like that. Loved it. Great flying into London City Airport on a Monday morning, feeling all important with your wee suitcase going through the airport. Um, fantastic. Really great. Our offices for Crossrail were in Canary Wharf and of course, mm -hmm. Massive engineering project, project to work on the real buzz, and it, it was something different as well. I'd worked on big construction projects, but I'd never worked on one outside of the kind of the west of Scotland. So it was great to see how that diverse mix of culture and people all integrating to deliver the project. Really, really interesting. Brilliant. And uh, I got the opportunity then from from Siemens. Um, a lot changed. The business was developing through. Leadership team kind of changed about. And I've had Simon Watson, who was my, my kind of head of safety at Siemens on the podcast previously as well. If Simon had come a year earlier, I'd have probably still, still been at Siemens. But it was just changing a lot. And I, I decided, I'm going to look and see what's out there. And I heard about SSE and some of the, the great stuff that they were doing and the, the kind of journey that they're on um, with the carbon neutrality and moving on to the, the climate change and the renewable energy sector and how that's really starting to progress. And I got the opportunity to, to interview for a position there as lead chief assurance auditor. And I went there. It worked out a really great move for me. And I ended up taking on an additional role in my first couple of months as well. As I do, I seem to kind of collect roles that I'm now the programme manager for contractor safety across all of the SSE businesses as well. So really interesting. So, 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 yes. so, 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 you know, sort of uh, giving you too much praise, uh, uh, a lot of responsibility because you're still sort of relatively younger. Is that about the right time to be taking that role on? Well, I'm 36 this year now, Jimmy, so it's a, it's a good good role. I've got plenty of good experience behind me. I've got over 16 years now. And well, I was going to say, because, I mean, you've done, it all the right, you've done it all the right way as well, haven't you? Because you've got all these strings to your bow and, and you've picked them up. I mean, it's like, try to use that analogy, it's like when you were saying you were flying from Glasgow to London, some people just fly, don't they? They just mm -hmm. go from there to there and I'm a, a health and safety advisor now, but if you're talking about taking the train, you took the train and you got off at Dumfries and came back to Glasgow then. You took the train and went down to Birmingham and came back to Glasgow. You, you sort of always came back, you know what I mean, all these things. And now you've got these strings to your bow now and and and, and, and you're, you're taking all these uh, and these roles. So there's perhaps, and this is why I just want to lead on to this, this last question, not this last question, but this very pertinent question. Before you answer it, where do you see yourself progressing to in the future? There could be a chance here that you, a bit like Matt Jackson, may move out of health and safety and maybe go somewhere else or not? I don't know. It's my passion. And I, I guess the real drive inside of me was when I was at school, 
ad teachers, and I, I saw one of them not that long ago um, when we were still allowed to go out to pubs. I saw oh, one of them in the pub. And um, the teachers that would tell you things like, you're stupid, you'll amount to nothing, you better get used to signing on the Bruce on because you'll no go anywhere in life, right? And that put a real drive in me to right. succeed. And when I got that formula, to succeed. And the other thing that I always have going off in the back of my head is all of the stories that my granddad used to tell me about working in the yards and how badly treated they were. Right. So my motivation for being in safety has always been about looking after the people around about me. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely not. So where's the next part then for you then? So the next development for me, Jimmy, is I want to continue to progress. I want to go right up the ladder. I want to be a safety director. Well, that's, not a, that's not in doubt, is it, really? Leading strategy, leading a business and working with a business that's an innovator that wants to really do something different and have some outside-of-the-box thinking. My strength is my creativity, how I put things together. Absolutely. No, I can definitely vouch for that. What can I drop from a kind of half penny that I'll think of something, turn it into a tangible idea and then push it through and drive it on? So what about... So, okay. So (laughs) someone that's coming to the end of their career, you know, I've I've decided that I'm going to be retiring in two and a half years and and Mm -hmm. there's somebody right in the midst of, you know, I've got sort of... uh, What was that? I've got not not 20, I've got about 15 years um, or more on you. Um... We're, what guidance, and we probably give each other different guidance, and we're saying that, I've been in health and safety for 11 years, so the guidance might be about the same, but what guidance would you give someone that were starting on Monday, that were coming in on Monday, uh, or want to start in health and safety, or come to see you, what, what advice would you give them straight away, day one? Be curious, ask questions. There's no such thing as a stupid question. I've probably asked more stupid questions than anybody in the world. But guess what? I know how a signalling system in the railway works because I ask stupid questions. I offered to carry people's tool bags to go and learn what they were doing. I offered to help pull cable so that I could understand the job that the guys were actually doing rather than just turning up for half an hour, filling in a report and disappearing. I got a real good understanding from there to develop that through as well. The other advice that I would give is get a good, as best an education in safety that you can get. And when I say education, I don't mean paper qualifications. I mean, go out there and find someone that's very experienced and shadow them. If you don't get the opportunity, build it for yourself. I used to have a a thing that I had printed out and I've had it on my desk. I've not got it in the house, but I've had it on my desk in pretty much every office that I worked in. And it was a little quote that said, if opportunity doesn't knock, build your own door. <laughs> and I live by that as my motto to try and push myself to get to where I wanted to be. And there was another thing I was wanting to say to you as well. I mean, you touched on it earlier on with your with your um, sort of mentoring coming through a lot of the, some army um, folks that you've spoken to. And, and, and I've got my own um, my own views on of what the army gives you, but I think you touched on it as well. You, you learned some soft skills as well, and you you, you learned how to speak to people. It, it was, were they the type of people that helped you embrace that? Yeah, massively. The communication skills were were huge. Being able to speak publicly, I used to be absolutely terrified, and I mean terrified. I can remember my first time going to going to university. The first week, because I was going in as a direct entrant into year two, I had to do an accreditation, a prior experiential learning, an APEL. After that, you had to give a six-minute, and you were timed to the second, six-minute presentation on health and safety. And I was terrified going in to do this presentation. And I just went up there and I blurted it out, spoke, and I was animated, and I was walking around the room, but it was to hide how nervous I was. My hand was trembling. So I was moving them about so that I could talk all the time. And uh, I got to the end of the presentation. They went, have you had public speaking training before? And I went, no. Very good at it. I didn't think I was. I was shitting myself, to be honest. And they went, well, 
you're good. So those soft skills, being able to engage with people, I've learned that from different people across my career. Some of them have been the ex-military people, some of them have been good managers as well. Um, being able to pick that up and engage with someone on their level as well. Always have that kind of playbook of things to talk to people about. Um, I can remember going back to the rail industry, there was a couple of Network Rail senior staff came in to visit my depot and they were having a wander around with me and I'm talking to a couple of people and I'm saying to a guy, how'd you go on with your driving test? And they said, oh, I failed it again. But I think it's because I've been banned. And I said, it probably is. <laughs> and, um, speeding or something like that, he'd get the, the six points early on. And the next guy, I said to him, how's your reading getting on after having a fall? Oh, she's absolutely fine. Thanks for asking. And the next guy... Ah, you see the football last night? Ah, yeah, it was really good. And he says, how do you remember all of this about everybody? And I said, well, I know everybody that works for us and we've built up that rapport and that trust. So now, tell us when something's wrong, knowing that we're not going to go, where's my clipboard to write you up? You're getting me like a card. No, no. They'll come and they'll say to us, can I tell you about something? And you're not going to go off on one. Aye, sure, no problems. What is it? Yeah, well, we've got an issue with us, right? Let's fix it. And that... Yeah. As Karen McDonnell says, always start from the position of yes. Yeah. You know, and, and I was going to say to you as well, I mean, we're, we're, we're really pushing for time now, but I just... One of, the, one of the things that really resonates with me is that that ability to go out and talk to people. Where, and that's and I've got I've got someone I'm mentoring at the moment, um, young Leah Barrett. She's uh, Leah's done her Nibosh, um course. She's done her SMSTS course as well, and we've now got her in the level six MDQ diploma. And but I've also wanted to do some management stuff as well. But the one thing I said to Leah, "What do we do when we're going out? Just be nosy and talk to people. Just just hear a noise, go and have a wee look, and don't make any judgments. Just have a wee chat. So you're you're bang on. We're on the same page, right? So we just need to push on a wee bit here. Um, okay." So I just wanted to ask you sort of one more sort of thing here. Um, and, and that's, you know, just tell us and tell the audience, I think, in, in, a, in a couple of minutes, where you are now and, and would you change anything in terms of being that 16-year-old boy that was getting a wee bit lost to where this 36-year-old Man, husband, father is now. Right, you'd have changed in that last uh, 20 years. I would have loved to have been involved in safety earlier, if I'm honest. I mean, I got into it at a very young age. I was very, very fortunate. I would probably, if I could go back, try and be a bit more focused and really try and push, push harder than I did to get through into the next level and the next level as to where I wanted to be in my career. Um, a lot of the stuff, where I planned it, it was jumping about a little bit, getting experience here, there and everywhere. Um, also, the kind of confidence to be able to speak publicly and get involved in stuff and volunteer. I was always the first one to put my hand up and say I would do something. Maybe try and be a wee bit more selective on some of the stuff that I volunteered for. I often find myself that I'm running from thing to thing. Even now, I have to try and kind of really focus and say, right, have I got the time to do this, or does this need to take a little bit of a backseat to, to concentrate on this? You know? Brilliant, mate. And, and just finally, just before we finish up, tell us a wee bit about this, um, your forum, your HSE forum, and, and how that's progressing. Right, so the IPD group, wow, we've had massive success off of the back of that. I've got some great people that have been developing through on it, and I've now got the people that have developed through the chartership. I had one guy in particular, Eight years he'd been trying to put his IPD through for. He'd failed three times to get over the line with it. And we got him over it in seven, eight months. Just by every, every month, checking in with him, seeing how he was doing, letting him ask the questions, translating some of the language, and, and then pulling it through. And he now volunteers as part of the group. He'll come to every single meeting, and he's helping coach people. We had the, or my thought at the start of it was, and I learned this at university, and it was actually my wife that should be credited for this one. The whole thought behind the IPD development group, which led on to the CFIOS development group, was that 
peer-to-peer support is massively important. And my wife was airline cabin crew. So when they were studying for exams, even if it was a crew from all around the UK that were studying for their exams together, they would swap phone numbers at the start of the course and they would all meet up to study so that they all had a bit of kind of peer-to-peer support. So when I was starting university at the ripe old age of 27, she says, take a notebook, get everybody's phone number and email address, because there'll be stuff that you understand that they don't, and you need their help when you get to the bits that you don't understand. First day of the course, I stood up and I said, everybody that wants to be involved, write your phone number down, and I'm still close with a lot of the people that we've done that with. We studied together and developed through the course together to really help. And that's where that kind of philosophy came from, the peer-to-peer support. So that's how we developed those groups, the peer-to-peer support groups, that the peers in the group help each other out to succeed. And we've had 21 people go through a chapter membership in the past year, even during this pandemic, that everybody's been on Zoom rather than meeting face-to-face. And we've also had a chartered fellow go through, and we've got another couple of chartered fellows going for an interview very soon. Well, I want, I want you... I want you to come on to my coffee morning in the next uh, couple of weeks when we do the council coffee morning. And um, I need you to start banging that drum up there about getting people in Scotland um, more on the, the, the President's coffee mornings that we're advertising later as well. But I want to bring you to the council uh, coffee morning in a couple of weeks just to, to let these, um, some of these council members who are branch chairs know exactly what you're doing. I know Karen talks about it when she's on the coffee morning, but it'd be good to see the person that started it. Listen, Blair, that, that's about all we've got for the night. And, you know, from from me, um, you know, we've become good friends and, and and I'm really looking forward to the next few years to see how you progress. It's an absolute honour to be able to, to share your journey with you tonight and your story with you. And, and thanks for asking me to do it. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be really chuffed to see uh, the man being put on the spot himself. Um You've got 30 seconds. What would you just like to sum up with, Blair? Thank you very much for hosting the show, Jimmy. It's been a really interesting experience. I see what a lot of the people have been through on the the other side of it. We've tackled a lot of different subjects, we say, for your average. Some of them have been really funny and good, light-hearted ones. We've also tackled some serious ones. A couple of them that stand out for me were Kayla Bergeron talking about 9-11, and also Joe Meaning sharing these experiences. Joe has become a very good friend of mine as well, um, off of the back of us. The other thing that I'll say is if you want to get involved in safety, please join IOSH. It's an excellent institution to be involved in. It will really help your career to develop through. Jimmy's doing some fantastic work as the president, and we're going to really start to see things progress in the next 6 to 12 months with IOSH as well, with a new competency framework coming in. So right. it's an exciting time to be a health and safety professional. If you're thinking about a career change during this pandemic, or you want to maybe select it as a first career, it is an excellent career to be involved in. I'm sure you would agree with that, Jimmy. Absolutely, 100%. And the, and the great thing about this platform as well with yourself is that we're reaching out to more membership than ever as well. And we're doing great things this year in terms of the presidential team as well. So wonderful. Leah, thanks again for your time. Um, and I look forward to seeing you very soon in the flesh for that dram. Take care, sir. Thanks very much, Joe. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high risk and challenging filming and time lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction, and infrastructure projects nationwide. <laughs>